0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Yo, what's good, my people? It's Pastor Jay Harris from The Ville Church. Thank you this morning for tuning in to our online sermon um, I have a message that I'm excited to preach to everybody. I'm going to be preaching out of Colossians 4.1. If you want to roll with us, shout out to all my Bill people, anybody that's brand new tuning in. Ville um, Churches, man, we about the gospel, we about taking the treasure of the gospel to the neighborhood and the community and living it out amongst each other or whatever, right? In a way that the Bible shows us. And so we've been going through the book of Colossians, and we are now in chapter 4 on verse one and uh this text I'm gonna preach to you i actually preached it in person last sunday but i felt like it was such a uh, important sermon that i wanted to make sure that we actually get a recording of the sermon so i'm doing it again um because it's still doing the work in my own heart and as i preach it you'll see what i mean and i hope it is a benefit to you as well um but it's going to be heavy i'm going to just let you know right so let me read the text to you. I'm actually going to start back in Colossians 3.22 and walk it into Colossians 4.1, which is our main text for the day, all right? It says, bond servants, in everything those who are your, your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And then four one says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So that's our text for today. In this particular translation, it uses the word bondservants. Um, I believe other texts say servants, but I know for a fact other ones say slaves. And so, when you go and you kind of look at the Greek translation of this particular word for bondservant or slave, they are all are interchangeable. Whether it's um, involuntarily, uh, you know, or voluntarily, you know, um, voluntary servitude, whatever the case may be, they're interchangeable. So it's hard to kind of rationalize the um, the. Point of this word, and I think what you really have in the context, right? Because Paul, you have to think about it, he's writing this letter to the church at Colossae, he's speaking to the Colossian church, and the room is full of masters, bond servants, slaves, servants, because at that time, two thirds of the empire were actually slaves or bond servants or servants of some form. So I want you to have a, a good working definition of that because I think the way I'm addressed this kind of flows between all those dynamics. I don't like any of those dynamics. And to be honest with you, when I started working through this text, I was extremely uncomfortable. Um, I was uncomfortable because the word slave for me is just simply a trigger word. Um, there's, there's the racism we deal in this country today, so it's loaded for me, whatever, even if Paul is not, Hitting that, and I may be taking it out of context, it still is what happens to me as the reader when I read this text, right? Because I'm thinking about like we just had the shooting in Buffalo where this guy massacred uh, black people, right? Innocent black people um, intentionally, right? Skipping around other people. We have the racism that's in the American church. We have what we saw happen with George Floyd. We have my own personal interactions, the own stories from my own family, what we have to deal with that we find dehumanizing um, and that's something we deal with on a regular basis. So when I read this, I got a little bit of grief with the text, so I'll be honest with you. The way I approached the text, start I approached the text with a little scrutiny in my heart and this was a deep dive into my own heart and the reason it was is because I've actually studied this text before. I've actually come to conclusions about it. I understand the dynamics of slavery then and what Paul was doing and everything else. But for some reason, when I started to work on this text, I actually forgot. I forgot everything. My emotions and my feelings got so big, it clouded out what I actually have already studied. Um, so I took a certain approach to the text. I had to kind of start from square one. And I started by kind of, I'm, I'm sizing up. Like, like you know, like, I'm, I'm like, yo, God, like, you're you on the slavery thing, right? You, is that what you want or whatever? You, you Paul, what you, what's, what your, what's your perspective, bro? Where you at with it, right? Um, the first century church that Paul was a part of, that he's establishing and planning, what is y'all's posture? So I started there first, right? And you got to think that this is loaded for a lot of us, black or white, whatever color you are, whatever race, ethnicity, it's loaded because we know about American racism, Right? James Baldwin, the author said, an activist said this, to be a Negro in this country and be relatively conscious is to be enraged almost all the time. I completely agree with him. That's what's loaded in this conversation for me, right? Um, Frederick Douglass, he said, uh, for between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference, so wide, that to receive one as good and pure and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slaveholding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of the slain. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers, the boldest of all frauds, and the grossest of all libels. So when I read that right there, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, you have Frederick Douglass here, an ex-slave and abolitionist who went through slavery with slave owners, who posture themselves as Christians, and then you have Frederick Douglass who is actually a Christian, and although he's experiencing the hypocrisy, he's able to differentiate that there is a pure Christianity that is God-glorifying and that there's one is actually a fraud. So I guess what I'm actually saying is, Paul, like, where are you at? You on the fraud side or you on the real side? So that's the work I started to jump into. Another thing, too, Charles Spurgeon, who was actually um, a white preacher from from England, he said, um, I do from my inmost soul detest slavery, and although I commune at the Lord's table with men of all creeds, yet with a slaveholder I have no fellowship of any sort or any kind, or kind. Whenever one is called upon me, I have considered it my duty to express my detestation of his wickedness, and I was would as soon think of receiving a murderer into my church as a man-stealer. So, so we have a we have a a a black ex-slave in abolitionist and abolitionist in brilliant mind, Frederick Douglass, and a preacher who is esteemed, Charles Spurgeon, who both are on the same side of the fence. There's a fake one, and there's a real one, right? Let me tell you the response to Charles Spurgeon's statement in America. They said, if the pharisaical author should ever show himself in these parts, we trust that a stout cord may speedily find its way around his eloquent throat. And then his sermons were burned by American slave owners. And that statement was actually put inside the Southern Reporter in the Daily uh, commercial courier so it's actually they're they're making this statement in the newspaper this is the declaration they're making not only about their country but the declaration about their posture to Christianity and wanting to kill him for detesting slavery while also posturing themselves as a Christian this is why this is very loaded and why the church has a responsibility to make it plain and clear but I'm being honest with you as I worked through this it wasn't clear for me and I'm ashamed to say it because I know better but nevertheless my baggage with what I see and with what I experience and what I know about the past and about history and what I've heard from my parents and what they've experienced and my grandparents that joint was super loud as I worked through this text so I had to let the Lord walk me through it so I looked at American slavery that I just walked you through and then I looked at God right I looked at some of the old texts where God deals with injustice And there's so much about injustice in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 16, 49, he says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. So God takes mistreatment of others serious. Other texts, he says, He says, he talks about protecting the widows, the orphans, the poor immigrant. He told his people, he said, when you harvest your land, don't harvest the whole entire thing down to the last bit. Leave some so the immigrant and the foreigner could actually come in and they could actually feed their families and take care of themselves and for people in need. People who are in circumstances where they need to be lifted up. So that's the posture we see. I'm just touching a little bit of it. But I could, you know, he said, let justice roll down like a river. He said, he, he said in some of the, the Old Testament texts, he said, I don't even hear your worship no more. I don't even hear it. He Say y'all, you posture yourself as people of God. He said, I don't even hear it. He said, you know what? This is the worship I want you to do. Go outside and do justice to your brothers and sisters. Do that. Do that, right? That's God. So I read that. I said, okay, God, I see where you're at. I see where you're at. I see Jesus running up on the on the Pharisees saying, yeah, you're doing all your traditions and all that, but you've neglected justice, and you've chose piety and self-righteousness. Why you stomp on the others outside who are in need and need help, or whatever. You've created systems of elitism, racism, all of these different things. I see that in the scriptures. It's clear. So I, I ran up on God or whatever. Then I looked at the early, the early first century church, and I, I said, man, you know, I'm like, well, what was their posture? History tells us some things about the church that I respect. It says the early church recognized no difference in status between slave and master since everyone sat together in assembly. So they sat together in assembly, right? it wasn't a section for slaves back then they sat together slaves actually served as elders in the first century church so you gotta think about it, you got Pentecost you got all these people coming to Jesus two-thirds of the people, they're preaching the gospel to everybody we don't care if you're rich, we don't care if you're a tax collector we don't care what you are we preach this gospel and God starts doing something in your heart and now we're in a process of sanctification so Paul when he's having these conversations, which I just didn't like the conversation because I'm like, I don't like that whole statement about you know you know, bond servants, you know, respect your masters. I get it, but like I said, my baggage is in the way. So I'm working through my baggage and trying to keep it very real with you as I'm walking through it. And I think it's important because I know plenty of people in America, especially so many of my black brothers and sisters when they see stuff like that, and then even some white brothers and sisters where they like, man, I ain't, I ain't feeling that. Is that what God is on? So I'm like, if you don't know, you got to dig in to find out what's, what time it really, really is, right? But the first century church, they wasn't on that. It says slave, slaves served as elders. Some of the highest positions in the church. It says, unlike pagan gravestones, they noted that they that noted if the deceased were a slave, Christian gravestones did not make a distinction. So the thing was, we aren't acknowledging slavery. According to Ignatian Ignatius, who was a second century bishop, church funds were often used to buy the freedom of slaves. Some Christians even surrendered their own freedom in order to ransom and free others, according to Clement, right? This is AD 55 that we we get these writings. Marriage among slaves was protected. And early Christians urged non-Christians to free their slaves or to allow them to purchase their freedom. It's also said that the first century church had a heavy hand in sweeping the leg of slavery in the Roman Empire um, because... It almost shamed the system because of the way that they as the church gave equal status to slaves. So this is some of the stuff that I saw in history and I said, okay, this is not like American, this is not like American Christianity, right? And then last but not least, I need to run up on Paul, right? so I started looking at some of Paul's old texts. Like, Paul, let me see where you're at. I see what you're saying right now. You're telling the master to respect, you know, honor this slave and do justice, because they have a master in heaven, and, and you're telling the slave do their work unto God. And I'm trying to get a grasp of like why that conversation is necessary, what he's actually doing there. But I wanted to know, I'm like, but but like, you know, I, I, I get it. Circumstantially, Paul is saying that if you find yourself in a situation where you're a slave because he's up under a government, just like everybody else in the room, right? He has authority only in the room with people who actually receive his authority as a preacher, or as a leader inside of the church. But he's telling them, he's like, we can't change everybody's circumstance, but if you're in a circumstance, do your work unto God so you can get along. You can get along in life and you can, you can still have this relationship with God, despite your circumstance. And Paul, what I get, and I'm going to walk you through it, is that I think Paul was calling them, because if you go farther back in Colossians, Paul makes a statement about how the gospel takes all the categories away. He says there's no slave, and there's no, um, there's no slave, and there's no master, there is no Greek, and there's no this, all these different categories that have these walls of division set between us. All of these different things. One of the reasons I'm struggling with the text is because I have a wall, and I'll show you that in a minute, right? But he's saying that the gospel lifts us up. Up. We start off with the walls. Everybody has a trajectory they walk in life. They have a narrative that they've lived out. Things that they have been, you know, put in them by their parents. Things they've seen in society, and we begin to go, those people, them kind of people, that kind of person, these people, that kind of economic status, that side of town. We have these walls. And Paul is actually looking for the gospel to make all of those different walls dissolve to where we're just children of Christ. And the Bible says, esteem others higher than yourself. That's the ultimate goal of the work he's doing. But he's doing it from a practical standpoint. And and, in my experience, sometimes that's just a little too slow for a lot of us. We want a law and we want a rule and we want people to act right and do the right thing. And the law and the rule is not a wrong thing because it makes a declaration about where we're going, right? But we all know, the law don't stop racism in people's hearts. So Paul is trying to do the work of dealing with people's heart and actually reconciling the bondservant with the master. Bring your hearts towards Jesus, towards the Father, and let him bring your hearts towards each other to where this relationship dissolves from what it once was to something pure and holy before God. I'm spilling the beans a little early, but let me show it to you in the text, right? So I'm gonna read to you. This is out of um, Philemon, right? And um, this is this text covers when Paul actually there's a slave by the name of Onesimus, and Philemon was a I believe a businessman who became a believer, but he actually had slaves, and he was a part of the church, and he had this. Paul is locked up in jail, like always. You know what I'm saying? Paul is always doing a bid for preaching the gospel, whatever. So he's in prison and Onesimus escapes away from Philemon and he ends up making his way to Paul and while he's with Paul, he's actually working for Paul and you know, he's working with Paul, working for Paul or whatever, um, and Paul grows to love him. And I'm gonna break down and I'm gonna do it in Jay Harris commentary language so you gotta keep up with me or whatever. Um, I'm gonna break it down what Paul is actually saying so you, cause you get to see Paul's heart. So Paul says, and I'm starting verse eight. I'm in, I'm in uh, one verse eight, right? He says, wherefore, having in Christ much boldness to command thee that which is fit. He's talking, Paul is writing this letter to Philemon. And let me translate with that statement. No, no, let me, I'm going to read this next one. He says, wherefore, having in Christ much boldness to command thee that which is fit. Because of the love I rather entreat, being such and one as Paul the age, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Translation on verse 8 and 9, Paul is saying, homie, if I wanted to tell you what to do, I could boldly just tell you what to do. I could boldly say, bro, you're sinning right now and you're doing some foulness concerning Onesimus. That's what he's saying. He said, but I'm going to entreat. He's going to choose to go at the heart instead of going after command. He says, I entreat thee concerning my child. Paul says, Onesimus is my, my son. Right? Paul's an old man Aged and old sitting in prison And he says concerning my child Whom I did beget in my bonds Saying he came to me in my bonds He says Onesimus Who once was to thee unprofitable And now is profitable to me in thee, Whom I did Send again and thou him That is, is my own Vows receive Whom I did wish to retain to myself That in thy behalf He might minister to me In the bonds of the good news. And apart from the mind, I will to do nothing. Excuse me, and apart from thy mind, I will to do nothing, that as of necessity, that good deed may not be, but of willingness. What Paul is saying there is like, you know, whatever you, you, you know, you, you had this situation, whatever, with Onesimus or whatever, and it may have been a problem, whatever, is what he means when he's talking about it being unprofitable and everything else, and then he says, but nah, it's probably saying Onesimus is a believer, bro, like, he is one of us, and he's saying, I really want to keep him with me because I got love for him or whatever and stuff, and we, we over here getting it in, in the work of the ministry, but I ain't want to do nothing outside of y'all's relationship, so he's doing that thing where, like, let me, Homie, like, you, y'all had a situation first, so I ain't going to jump over that and do whatever. I'm going to actually, and I don't want to force you into having to do what I tell you to do. That's right. So I'm going to put it in front of you to see if you will do it with a willing heart. And then Paul, verse 15, now he says, For perhaps because of this he did depart for an hour, that age doingly thou mayest have him, no more as a servant, but above a servant. A brother beloved, especially to me, and how much more to thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Let me translate this to you. Paul says, "Paul, this is this is the this is what Paul was doing in Colossians four and three twenty-three all the way to the end, and bringing in the four one. The what he's saying about the the bond servant doing the work unto God and the master doing justice to the servant unto God." It's a matter of redemption. It's a matter of reconciliation. And he says that in verse 16. Says no more as a servant, but above a servant. He's, he's saying when 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 Onesimus comes back to you, he, not as a servant, homie, above a servant, a brother beloved, right? And then he says he says especially to me, and how much more to thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Reason he's saying, especially to me, but how much more to thee? Because he's saying, like I don't know if you've ever had conflict with somebody who's your brother or your friend. Nobody likes conflict. But if you can handle conflict in a godly way, conflicts are opportunities to fix something that was already broken or unaddressed in the first place, number one. And if you have the proper tools or do it with a godly heart, you usually end up closer with the person that you've had conflict with. I don't wanna run a business with a person who avoids conflict and won't get into real hard stuff because we end up actually hurting the work and hurting our relationship because we're playing games and won't keep it real with each other. But if we done clashed it and had to go head to head and really let it out what's really inside of us and express our feelings to each other, I guarantee you on the other side, and I've experienced this plenty of times, Some of the people I'm closest to is because we've wrestled and fought and had to fight for the godly thing in the midst of our relationship. And we know each other now. We know our temperaments and everything. And we know how to tap each other like, yo, homie, I ain't feeling that. I ain't feeling that, bro. Well, no, no, I think that. Well, listen, let's go home and let's pray about it. We got a process. We know how, like, I trust the relationship more. So he's saying, how much more to thee? Because y'all done went through this. And if you, let, if you do the right thing, God is going to do something special in you. Matter of fact, he's going to give, us a, give you a testimony. He's going to give you a testimony. Philemon will actually be able to actually use this as a testimony to God's goodness and his grace and mercy in his life about opening his eyes concerning slavery. Concerning being an unjust master. Concerning having grief and elitism. Because the story that we preach about the gospel is not about how awesome we are, it's about God redeeming us. So even when we get caught in something and we're exposed for the wretchedness in our heart, that goes for all of us. Men with our sexism, the racism inside of our heart, like all of this kind of stuff that we have, Bring it into the light. That's what God says in John. He says, "Yo, if you bring it, He says, so if you say you don't sin, you're a liar.' He said, but if you bring it in the light, the blood of Jesus will wash it away. You don't have to deal with shame. You can walk securely, despite what may be in the past. You put that in context. It's nothing but God sanctifying you. So don't walk around acting like you don't need something to sanctify you. So this is an opportunity for Philemon to grab onto a narrative that's actually God glorifying. That makes himself small but makes god big right and that's what paul is saying there even much more with you and then verse 17 i'm going to bring this home he says if then with me thou hast fellowship receive him as me paul says homie if you got love for me receive him like you would receive me paul is completely rewriting the lines of the relationship and what is right. He is pulling Onesimus from this idea that he is less than a human to be somebody's kind of slave and be mistreated a certain way. And he is going. He is a child of God. And Paul has pulled him all the way up. He ain't trying to say like, yo, he my little homie or whatever. He's like, homie, when you if the way you would treat me, that's how you treat him. He says, receive him as me. And then verse 18 says, and if he hurt, did if he did hurt to thee. Like i don't know your whole situation or he owes anything he said this to me be reckoning i paul he said i paul right with my with my hand i will repay this is reconciliation in real life paul is like yo homie like that whole thing we just talked about the first century church that paul was very much in in the heart of planning and formulate its gospel and social perspectives Paul is actually showing it to us right here. He says, I, Paul, write this with my own, own hand. Homie, I'll cut the check. I'll cut the check. He says, I will repay. Right? He's doing some practical work. He ain't just talking spiritual jargon. He's doing spiritual things, but practically it pays out. I will cut the check if that's what needs to happen. He says, if you own that what well, you bought your money and you don't want to move in a way God wants to is calling you to do and, and redeem this situation then I'll step in and we'll just do it the practical way or whatever and I'll cut the check then or whatever right because that was a part of you know you had to the slaves had to buy their freedom so he's pressing on his heart to do the godly thing but he's also we gonna do something even if I gotta cut a check if you ain't willing to cut the check with your heart and with goodness and he says that I may not say he goes that I may not say that also thyself and then he says besides To me thou dost owe. So Paul is kind of gangsta. You you know, we we have this language, you know, in the translation that's hard for us sometimes. But you have to bring this into real life. Because he just puts an exclamation point. Homie, by the way, you owe me anyway. Is basically what he's saying to Philemon. And then he says in verse 20, he says, yes, brother. May I have profit of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Paul, he's not okay with slavery but he is in, in the, he is in the posture of how do we actually reconcile the heart? How do we actually redeem this dynamic? Right? He actually takes an approach where he is looking to actually free the master from a heart of injustice. And he's actually looking to lift the slave from the prison of being a slave and go to a higher level, right? To actually be lifted up to the royalty that God has called and dignified humans as his children, right? First Corinthians 7 21, Paul's this. He says, Were you called while he says, Were you called while a slave? He's talking to the Corinthians and he's saying, Were you called to Jesus while you were a slave? He said, Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. So Paul, in the midst of this, is not. He's not unaware. He, he's not saying, oh, just find resolve and just be a slave. He's saying if you if you stuck there, if society and the wickedness of the world has boxed you into these circumstances that you find grievous, it has no bearing on your value before the Lord. And God's promises and the richness and the treasures that he has for you for eternity, they are still secure. Find contentment in knowing that God is going to keep his promises to you even while under the circumstance. But homie, if you could get up out of there, most definitely hit the road check. So I did the homework on them. That was God, that was the American church, that was Paul, right? It's the first century church. I did my homework on them. I went through them all. And after all of it, I still had this grief in my soul. I still felt like something was wrong. I was talking to my wife about it. I said, babe, I don't know what the problem is. I can't preach this text. And and she said, babe, she goes, why? Like, what's the problem? Like, you know what I mean? Then she dozed off and fell asleep. I turned around, I dropped on my knees, and I start praying. I said, God, I don't, I don't understand what's happening here. I said, I'm having an issue. My heart doesn't feel right in this. And I promise you, I was on my knees maybe two, three minutes, and God dropped the book of Jonah on me. And I didn't even know why. Um, I didn't even know why. And so, I'm gonna read this, and, uh, and for the sake of time, I'm gonna to try to move it quickly. Um, Jonah, Jonah is called to the to go see the people of Nineveh, right? God tells Jonah, He says, you know, go see the people of Nineveh, um, and I want you to warn them about their sin, right? So says, I want you to warn them about their sin, and um, and He tells them. Um, He says, uh, Jonah, you know, we know the story. Jonah bounces, he goes, and he gets eaten up by a well. He's in the well for three days, crying out to God, like, Lord, you know, confessing his sin like Father, like, man, I'm in a jam. I'm in the bottom of the ocean in in, in the stomach of a a huge well. God has mercy on him, and the well spits him up on the beach. God calls Jonah to go back to Nineveh. Jonah has beef with the people of Nineveh because they've also, there's a history there with their brutality towards his people, right? And so Jonah goes back and he does it and he's walking through the city of Nineveh, it's a three-day walk to get through it and he is crying out loud saying, God is going to destroy this city. And he is telling them, he said, God is going to bring his wife against this city. And the people of Nineveh, the king he actually repents he calls for everybody to repent and Jonah gets mad he gets mad so I'm reading this text and I'm trying to figure out like Lord I feel like you've led me to this text you know maybe I'm just tired or whatever but I don't understand what am I here for so let me read chapter 4 of Jonah to you he says But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry that God was going to have mercy on the city of Nineveh. It says he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. No, Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had just been in the stomach of a well because of his sin and was crying out to God for mercy. The people of Nineveh repented of their sin and cried out for mercy and Jonah was upset he's upset that God has given him mercy he literally says in the prayer like you, you like he's mad at God's compassion he's mad at God's compassion let me you know God says in the text let me read this part to you real quick and then i'm going to skip to verse 10 for the sake of time but it says but the lord said you've been concerned about this plant because god had made a plant grow over jonah's head because he was in the desert outside the city and it was super hot and um and then he made it die the next day and jonah was mad about that and the plant was just really meant to be a picture of god's grace like homie i don't owe you anything that's goodness i extend to you and you there ain't no complaint when I take it away because it's it's goodness. Like I don't have to do anything for you, right? But he says he says, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I have not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than a hundred and twenty thousand people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? Let me preach this to you real quick. God is postured himself towards the wickedness of Nineveh. His mercy is that he calls them to repent. He's putting a plant over their head because the heat is about to burn them up, right? He puts a plant over his head out of his own grace and they respond with gratefulness, thankfulness, repentance. With repentance, God gives them compassion. Jonah, who has just received compassion, just received compassion, just received mercy, in the most treacherous of situations, has that quickly forgotten. He he's forgotten that quickly, and he wants anger on he wants he, he wants he wants hellfire on everybody else's head. So it hit me. One of the problems, I, reasons I had a problem with this text, is because I'm like Jonah. I don't like the word slave. I don't like. I definitely don't like the word masters. I don't like none of that. I don't like the injustice. And I have so much baggage, like Jonah did too, because he has a history with the people of Nineveh and his people, right? So he's carrying that, the same way I was carrying it when I approached this text. And what God showed me in my heart, he said, man, he said, you like Jonah. He said, Jay, look at the compassion. Look how many times you ran from me when I called you. Because he called me mad times over the years. He warned me. And I ran every single time. I do not know why I'm a follower of Jesus to this day. It's only by the grace and mercy of God. God literally saved me from the belly of the well. And I still turn around and wish for fire on the people of Nineveh. I want I want the slave masters. When my wife said, why? I just started. I said, I want God to destroy slave masters. I want somebody to pay. I want heads to roll. I'm blind, just like Jonah was blind. I've become forgetful of God's grace to me. I was reading uh, about the thief on the cross in Luke 23, 39 and 43. When when the when he's on the on the cross, you know, the, Jesus is between the two different thieves, and One of them is mocking Jesus, like, homie, save yourself, you know, like I thought you were supposed to be the God and all that. And then the one thief on the cross, he says, and indeed, he goes, and we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus tells him, truly I say to you, but today you will be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross is not like Jonah. He, in this moment, God has graced him to recognize, I am receiving the just reward. Jonah and myself won't think we are like slave masters. And most people are having a hard time listening to this, but let me ask you something. If you've ever looked at porn in your life, you support slavery. The jail system in America is nothing but a slave system. The way we even in the workplace, it's no different than a master and bond servant between managers and employees, CEO and employees. We see CEOs today or whatever, and they go, my God, I have to let off. I have to lay off 2,000 workers because we don't have the money to pay them. But nevertheless, the CEO isn't taking a cut. We have CEOs in this country or whatever. They clock over a million dollars a minute. Like, come on. That's abuse. That's slavery. That is not loving other people that is doing what sodom is what's doing no concern overfed over unconcerned and not caring for the poor and needy y'all go figure it out but i ain't about to take a cut on my check you get where i'm coming from that's a slave master's art right but we only have it drawn in this one context the american thing gets so loaded we only see it like that but we got this mess in our heart too. And God used this scripture right here, he used this text to bring me through it and show me myself. I'm going to read something else and I'm going to bring it and I'm going to bring it on home. And this is what's been working me all week. That's why I had to preach this again. It's 2 Corinthians 16. Make sure you remember this scripture. Because this is something you need to tap dance and waltz with and do the two-step with and keep inside of your soul. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What that is, when it says God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, it says that, number one, he made Christ to be sin who was not sin. And for all of us who have sinned, he's completely not counted our sins against us. So therefore, the implication, the heart that remembers that they are like the thief on the cross who is like, I deserve to be up here. This is just for me to be up here for the mess I've done and receive mercy and grace is that we would lavish others with grace so the ministry of reconciliation by definition what it means it means that we have a ministry to go make people who are the enemies of God become children of God by the preaching of the gospel ambassadors of this good news I'm going to leave you with this question what does that mean for you And what does it mean for the grudges you have? Historical grudges. For people that you draw walls of division with. The gospel is literally a wrecking ball that knocks those down when we remember it. When we remember it. Because if we get forgetful, like Jonah, then we want everybody to receive destruction instead of compassion. But when we remember like the thief on the cross we like god i can't believe you would have mercy on me and all we want is for everybody to get it so that's what we preach i employ everybody who's listening today if you don't know jesus christ as your lord and savior repent of your sins because god is merciful and graceful he cares he knows your struggles says jesus is our high priest hebrews 4 tells us that there's no sin that we have gone through that he doesn't understand and he doesn't because he's perfect. He don't go close up the door and go, "Uh, you ain't perfect, so you can't come into my goodness." It says that he has thrown open the throne of grace. It's wide open. Don't reject him. Don't reject him. He has something beautiful for you that's beyond your mind can what your mind can comprehend. And he's alive and he's real. I know what they're saying in the streets and all the different stuff and all that. And they're stuck in sizing God up the way I was going through this scripture today to see what's real and asking questions ain't wrong. But I'm telling you, he is holy and he's alive. And he wants to come be in your heart. And he wants to walk you through life step by step. He says he'll never leave us or forsake us. I never wanted to be no preacher, but he is so real I can't do nothing but preach about him. And that's my story right there. So, I pray for you. You can say the prayer in your own home. And you don't have to say it right. It don't have to be cute. It's just a confession like the thief on the cross. I'm guilty of sin. God, I need you to save me. I believe Jesus lived a perfect life. But he died on the cross. And the wrath you released on him was for the wrath for all of my sins. That I could receive his perfect resume. God says, Salvation is a gift from God. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. It's a gift. Nobody's going to show up to heaven with their resume, all the good things they did. And God be like, oh, you're awesome. Come on in. Nah. He's going to say you just disrespected and spit on my son and the sacrifice. He, 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 paid for, he paid for your salvation. Dearly. But you chose your own way and the own way ain't going to rock. So receive the gift of Jesus Christ today in your heart. If you we're at the Church is our website. I'm Jay Harris on Instagram, Facebook, or whatever, reach out to me. DM me, do whatever. We can have the conversation. I'll pray with you. All right? So Ville Church, I'm signing off. I love y'all. Um, thank you for listening this Sunday. If you want to give a gift to the church, um, we don't you don't have to give a gift. We don't try to twist nobody arm to give anything. God is our provider, but you also um, uses people's generosity to help support our church and um, and, and uh, do the things we do and being able to help people and all of that good stuff. But listen, if you want to do that, you can go to church. There's a give tab. You can give there. We're extremely grateful. And uh, But regardless, we're just happy for you to be here with us. And we love All right, Peace.